I'm Cecilia Lay, and this is Fifth Emission. One of the sobering realities of being a San Francisco resident is how commonplace it is to see someone sleeping or slumped over in the streets. It's been like that for a while now, but in recent years, that person you come across in the street, they may actually be in need of life-saving help. They could be overdosing on fentanyl, a lethal drug, and it's more common than you might think. San Francisco is in an overdose epidemic, and in the peak of it in January, 70% of the people who died of an OD in San Francisco had fentanyl in their system. Fentanyl victims are disproportionately people of color, with black people being six times more likely to die than the average San Francisco resident. Trisha Thadani, a City Hall reporter at The Chronicle, is here to discuss how San Francisco is responding to the fentanyl crisis with a new initiative. She'll also talk about what long-term harm reduction advocates are saying about the city's strategy. And we'll hear from Joshua Weens. He lives and works in San Francisco, and he'll share what it was like for him to come across someone who needed that life-saving help and why everyday residents like us could make a small difference by carrying Narcan. That's a nasal spray that reverses opioid overdoses, including those caused by fentanyl. Trisha, thanks so much for being here. San Francisco has dealt with an overdose epidemic for years. So how has it changed during the pandemic? So the pandemic had a really profound impact on the number of overdose deaths we were seeing. You know, with the pandemic, we were told to stay home and there was a lot of disruption to different services in the city. And the most dangerous way for someone to use drugs is alone, because in that case, if they overdose, then there's no one around to help save them. So during the pandemic, we saw a really tragic rise in overdose deaths, um, particularly among people who were living by themselves in some hotels that we have uh, for formerly homeless people in the Tenderloin. And that really dangerously coincided with a rise of fentanyl in our drug supply. And fentanyl is an extremely powerful opioid that can be 50 to 100 times more potent than morphine to give some perspective on just how dangerous this drug is. So the combination of people being alone more, being more stressed, facing more uncertainty from the pandemic, as well as this really strong drug suddenly showing up um, in the drug supply with such force, led to a pretty profound rise in overdose deaths over the last year and a half. So it seems like fentanyl is the game changer here. Can you remind us again, why is it so harmful and why does it keep showing up in the drug supply? So the biggest danger of fentanyl is just how strong it is. Um, So for perspective, um, fentanyl is a painkiller that's often used in hospitals in extremely controlled settings and in extremely small doses. So, you know, think of someone who's kind of at the end of their life with stage four cancer or someone coming out of a serious surgery. That's when fentanyl is intended to be used. And why is fentanyl so prevalent in the drug supply? So it's so prevalent because of the sheer potency of it. So if you if if a drug is cut with fentanyl, it'll be stronger. And for some people, that will be more desirable. So in San Francisco, you have people actually seeking out fentanyl. And, you know, and then they build up a tolerance for it. um, And then there's the demand for that. And where there's the demand, there's going to be the supply. But what is really dangerous is when people don't know that the drug that they're consuming is cut with fentanyl. Um, And that's where you often see um, a high rate of overdose deaths. So, for example, if someone goes to buy methamphetamine off the streets, if that 
is cut with fentanyl and they don't realize that and they don't have a tolerance for that drug, that is extremely dangerous for them. And the majority of the deaths that we've been seeing over the last couple of years, particularly when it comes to fentanyl, are disproportionately people of color and also concentrated in two main neighborhoods, the Tenderloin and Soma, where we have higher rates of poverty than other parts of the city, um, a lot of homelessness and a high concentration of drug dealing arrests as well. The impact is being felt all around the city, but it's most acutely prevalent in um, these poorer neighborhoods. And now the city has launched a new initiative to try to deal with the problems you're describing. In August, a new team called the Street Overdose Response Team, or SORT for short. Tell me more about the ways the city has responded to the crisis that fentanyl is creating on the streets of San Francisco. Yeah, over the last year and a half, there's been a lot of pressure on City Hall to to address this crisis with far more urgency than they have been. And so earlier this year, uh, Mayor London Breed introduced a package of new programs and initiatives. And one of those, as you'd mentioned, is this new overdose response team, where their mission is to respond to 911 calls for overdoses and catch people right after that really vulnerable moment where this person was on the brink of death and um, was saved likely with someone who was near them who had Narcan or was able to call the paramedics in time. And so they'll go to these people and offer follow-up care. And now follow-up care has a really wide range of what it means. That could mean something as simple as giving them more Narcan in case this happens, God forbid this happens again to them, um, or giving them other harm reduction supplies like clean needles and clean aluminum foil so that they can be safer um, until they're ready to seek out maybe a higher level of care. This team is also intended to connect people with that longer term care if they want that, but they couldn't provide me on that data. So we actually don't know how successful they've been in that aspect. And what has the work of this team looked like since it first launched in August? So since it launched in August, this team has responded to about 150 overdose calls. So that amounts to about three calls a day. But what they do doesn't seem that different from what's already been happening in the city for the last 20 years. I mean, San Francisco has a really robust harm reduction community here. We're one of the leaders in the country on that. And Mm -hmm. those groups who often operate kind of on shoestring budgets, they're the ones, also often people who are struggling with addiction themselves or are in recovery who are walking around to people in the streets and making sure that they have tools like Narcan and clean needles and stuff like that. And so far, that has been the biggest thing that the street overdose response team has done is giving out these harm reduction supplies. So the question, and it's still too early to tell because they just launched about a month ago, but the question is, is this redundant from what we've already been doing? Mm -hmm. You know, will they be able to connect people with long-term care? Will they be able to get people um, into residential treatment who want to? Or, and most importantly, will they be able to connect them to housing? So there's a lot that remains to be seen with it. But the Mm -hmm. early data that we were able to get does just give a window just into how many overdoses are happening a day in this city. You mentioned that there is some redundancy here with the city's newly launched initiative and existing harm reduction strategies. What are advocates saying about the city's strategy? So Kristen Marshall, she's the project manager for the DOPE Project, which is an organization that um, essentially runs the city's overdose response. Um, She said what the city really should be focusing on is these root causes um, of overdoses and of drug addiction. 
first and foremost, that is housing. Um, in order to sort of lead a more stable life and be safe and comfortable, someone needs somewhere w- to live. And obviously, as we know in San Francisco, that is, we have a dearth of that. The other things are we need proper mental health care. We need more attention on what, basically just more attention on what is driving the demand. Because like I said earlier, when there's demand, there's going to be supply. More with Trisha Thadani after a short break. We'll also hear from Joshua Weens, a San Francisco resident who felt the need to quickly act when he came across someone who was suffering from a fentanyl overdose. That's a situation that you may find yourself in. We'll be right back. You can support Fifth Emission and the newsroom that creates it by signing up for unlimited access at sfchronicle.com slash pod or by downloading the San Francisco Chronicle app. Trisha, it's common to come across people sleeping on the streets in San Francisco, and it may be difficult to tell who needs help from a potential overdose. You recently spoke to someone who had to witness an overdose death in the Tenderloin. Can you tell me more about the situation you came across? Yeah, so last month, um, it happened to be the same day that the street overdose response team had actually launched. Mm -hmm. I couldn't make it to that press conference because I was working on another story. But after I had finished working on that other story, I was walking through the Tenderloin and all of a sudden I came across a bunch of paramedics um, who were leaning over someone and unfortunately saw someone who was lying there underneath a yellow tarp um, and had very quickly realized, I mean, I I had a feeling I knew what was going on. Um, And so I started talking to people around and I came across this guy, Joshua Weens, who said that he was similarly walking through the Tenderloin and he saw someone who was just lying there and looked like he needed help. I talked to that man you came across, Joshua Weens. Here's his story. So I was actually coming home from a training for work and uh, I was on my way home and um, I was coming up Golden Gate Street on my way to Golden Gate and Jones and I'm walking by and I see this man laid out, which we see a lot of that in the Tenderloin community. And so um, I see him, um, but I don't have a good feeling. It looks like he's not breathing. And then he has about a group of five people who are also engaging in uh, sharing the drug together. And so I say to them, you know, is this, is this man okay? Is he okay? And they say, yes, he's good. He always does that. And so I um, continue walking up the street, but something in my heart said to me, you know, uh, the feeling I got was, no, go back and check. So as I go back and check, uh, I see he's not breathing. I checked his, his pulse. There was, you know, no pulse. And so um, I called the paramedics to get instructions uh, so that I would know what to do because I had not, you know, encountered that before. I didn't realize how scary it was or how nerve wracking it was in the moment because I was so concerned about him, hoping that I would get some kind of response. Uh, But unfortunately, there was no response. The paramedics told me to uh, see if there was any Narcan around. Um, And his friends seemed to have some Narcan. So they uh, gave him the Narcan and uh, there was no response. So um, I'm rubbing his chest and I was doing chest compressions, which I'd never done before. They were giving me the instructions on the phone. And, you know, all of the all of the fear from COVID is going through my head, but you know, I kind of like threw it out because I'm thinking, hey, I would want someone to do this for me if I was in this situation. And so the paramedics get there and um, 
they they seem to be very like, oh, this happens all the time, you know? And so it really wasn't any check-in. They just, you know, uh, the, the kicking of the feet, I guess someone touched his, his, his post and they was like, oh, he's, he's gone. And so I'm standing in the middle of this and I'm looking and I'm saying, wow, people have really become, they've normalized this, this pandemic. It's a pandemic within the pandemic. It's crazy. They normalize this, this, this trauma that they're enduring every day. People are dying every day. I was really struck by Joshua because he was someone who stopped. I mean, every San Franciscan walking down the streets, you know, has has come across this in their daily lives of someone laying on the ground and they don't really know what to do. Most people just walk past. But I thought Joshua was really important because he sort of had the the heart and the sort of mindset that this person doesn't look right and I should make sure that they're okay. And unfortunately, he came too late. But I think it was a good lesson in how, you know, it, it never hurts to check if someone's okay. It was really, uh, I also felt like I had kind of failed, but then I kind of shook that off, you know. Um, but it was really sobering and it stayed with me and still is with me. I've actually just thought about, you know, just going out, um, having Narcan and things with me. Uh, just seeing if people are okay, just checking on them because it's become a reality. And I'm always constantly looking now for people who are in a situation that they might not come out of. For me, in that in that in that instance, walking and seeing that man, I knew that something wasn't all right, and I and I wouldn't have been able to be all right with myself if I would have just kept going and just kept walking. You know, just take time to check, take time to see. Uh, slow down and check and see. Um, it doesn't hurt to check. It doesn't hurt to ask. Um, some of these people feel forgotten, you know, so just your asking can impact them so much. You don't even know how much that has impacted so many when I've asked, are you okay? Um, let the change start with you. And, and, you know, that's one person at a time. Just slow down and ask. Be ready if you encountered a situation like I did because I wasn't ready. I wish I was ready, you know, so so maybe me going through this can help someone be ready beforehand, those that would want to be ready. Trisha, from the experts you talked to in your reporting, are there things that we can do to help people who find themselves in situations like Joshua? Yeah, I think carrying Narcan never hurts. Um, I mean, it's something I carry by virtue of, you know, a lot of my reporting is in, in the, is in the tenderloin. So I just always kind of have it with me. I mean, Narcan is like the most important thing that the community can have in 2021 alone. In just the first six months of this year, Narcan was used 4,200 times. Um, and that's also probably an undercount because that's self those are self-reported numbers. But if you think about it, that's 4,200 times when someone um, was overdosing, was probably on the brink of death, and they were saved because someone around them had Narcan. So, you know, without it, there could be potentially hundreds more people who have died this year, and the numbers are already staggering. So just imagine what that would be if people like Joshua weren't around. Yeah, it's a really sobering reality. Trisha, thank you so much for your reporting and for talking to me about it. Thank you for having me. 
Trisha Thadani is a City Hall reporter at The Chronicle. You can find the story she co-wrote with Yu Hyung Jung about San Francisco's new initiative to address the fentanyl crisis on sfchronicle.com or on The Chronicle app. If you want to take Trisha and Joshua Ween's advice and carry Narcan, you can go to harmreduction.org and click the tab at the top that says Find Naloxone. Thanks to King Kaufman for producing this episode and to you for listening.